0: So we're going to be reading in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed, us, showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Okay, good morning. I love John's refrain throughout the, uh, the three letters. It is, dear friends. It's a refrain. He repeats again and again, dear friends. And this morning, I want to greet you, Neighbors Church, as dear friends, dear friends who are, are laboring and loving and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ here in this beautiful part of San Diego. It's a real honor and a privilege for me to join you in the midst of your summer series, a community of love, which is exploring the unique and powerful ways that our relationships with one another are ultimately formed through our relationship with God Himself. As you have made your way through 1 John, I have been listening in, and I have been both blessed and challenged by the confronting reality of Scripture. I've been blessed by the sincerity of your faith, and I've been so encouraged by the work of God amongst you. If you are wondering, no, I don't have an accent. Y'all have an accent. But um, my family and I recently moved uh, from South Africa to San Diego. We actually followed in the wake of our dear friends, Grant and Michelle, who did the same thing, and are also pastors in the city here. And we are church planters, and um, like Shelby said, it's our joy to be part of the light community in downtown San Diego. So my second language is Isizulu, and there is a warm greeting that cuts to the heart of what it means to be human and to share our humanity with one another. And it's this beautiful greeting that has a call and response element to it. Now I'm still testing and getting to know whether or not a call and response type of thing works in America. So I'm gonna trust that you are the type of people that are gonna say, yes, Caitlin, it does, okay? So this is the greeting. It starts off with one person saying, and the response is "Yebo, And in its simplest form, It's one person saying, hello, and another person saying, well, yes, hi, hello. But what it actually means is incredibly beautiful and very powerful. It means, I see you. I see you. And the response is, yes, I see you. And so this morning, Neighbors Church, I want to say, I see you. And while I'm learning American, from all Americans here present, maybe you can learn a little bit of Zulu with me. So we're going to say it together. But because today it's y'all, I'm going to say the Zulu equivalent of that plural. Okay, so it's going to be a slightly different word. It's going to be sunny bonani, which is hello to y'all. And you're going to respond with yebo sabona. Okay, do you think you can do it? Okay, sunny bonani. Beautiful! It works! That is amazing! Okay, wonderful, strong start today. We have quite the passage before us. And um, as one scholar says, it is at this point in John's epistle that he rises to the summit of all revelation. So today we're gonna put our walking shoes on, we're gonna take a hike. And hopefully, when we get to the top, we can breathe in deep that beautiful view of who Jesus is. What I want to do today is consider three profound realities that emerge from the text before us. And they're important because they not only orient us in the story of God, but they also ultimately bend us toward his loving end. And they're very simple. God's love, God's people, God's way. And so this will be the framework for our conversation, and they're ultimately the six work, words that you can press as a watermark upon your heart today. And so we're going to begin at the very heart of the Christian faith, and that's God's love. God's love, which is made manifest to us through Jesus Christ. He is the cruciform king. Next, we will consider what this means for those who profess to believe in the God of love manifest in Jesus and the people who bear witness to him. This is the cruciform confession. And finally, we will receive for ourselves anew the call to disciple ourselves in God's way of love through obedience as we live together The cruciform life. This is known as John's threefold thesis, which he holds before the church in Asia Minor. And he explains that love, belief, and obedience are the evidence and even the test of a genuine faith in God. Love, belief, and obedience are woven together as Christocentric modes of being, ways of a living that hold Christ at the center of all things. And they cannot ultimately be disentangled from one another. Instead, they act as a single cord that is embedded in the heart and woven through the life of those who love Jesus and follow him. So amidst false prophets, the proclamation and deception of false doctrine, amidst cultural turmoil, confusion, and chaos, this is the evidence, the fruit, and the test of one who truly knows God. Love for God and faith in Jesus, chained to one another by the links of brotherly love and obedience. According to John's argument, when unsure, the evidence of one who knows the living God is is ultimately love for the crucified King, Jesus Christ. And this love is born from the love that God first demonstrated for us on the cross. Secondly, the evidence is love for His people, love for the people of God whom He has appointed to bear His image and extend the blessing of His rule across the earth. And finally, it is a joyful obedience to his command that we love him and one another as we walk in the easy burden of his rule. So with this in mind, let's start by turning our hearts towards the love of God, the love of our cruciform king. We read in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. John appeals to the church and he says, Love one another. Love one another because God is love and love comes from God. And those who love are ultimately born of him. He proclaims ultimately what is the gospel. He proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ that God has revealed his great love for all people. In the person and the work of Jesus, Jesus who willingly rained open the heavens, who quite literally tore open the heavens in his love for us and entered into the human condition to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And he did this so the people of God might be saved from Satan, sin, and death and united to him forever. So, set before us in this text today is the theological reality that God is love in himself. As Tim Mackey of the Bible Project would say, love originates from God's own character. He loves because he loves. God is love in himself. And this is why Jeremiah describes God's love as everlasting. And unfailing, it has no end because it has no beginning. God is love. So how does this love of God exist? Well, the scriptures teach us that it is in the mystery of Trinitarian unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we sang this morning in our beautiful call to worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who enjoy divine love, And perfect fellowship with one another. And this is how God, who is love, reveals his love to us Jesus Christ. Jesus, the person, the life, and the work of Jesus. Our loving Father makes his perfect will known by sending his Son, Jesus Christ, to live a life of loving obedience even unto death. And we sang that this morning, even unto death, so that through him, you and I and the saints of history might live forever. This summer, you've already discussed that in his great love, Jesus victoriously and finally transfers his people from one reality to another. He moves us from darkness into his wonderful light that we might be people who now walk in the light of his life. He moves us from death into eternal life. Jesus Christ, the glorified Son of God, becomes the crucified king. And what he does is he stretches wide his arms of love open upon the cross and he sheds for all his blood. And he does this in love. And in love, you and I are saved from Satan's sin and death. And through him, John tells us, we live. The father then sends his spirit to dwell in us And to enliven us, to animate us, and awaken us in the new life that we are given through Jesus Christ. And so God has revealed himself to us in this way. Self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And it's so easy for us to read scriptures like this. Or to hear of the love of God and actually our hearts have gone grown cold to the good news. But I would encourage you this morning, Neighbors Church, see him. See Jesus Christ, the one who stopped at nothing in love for you. For every living thing in all of creation, Jesus is both the supreme manifestation of love and the very model of what love is. He both reveals to us God's love and he also establishes for us a pattern of love that we are to follow. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 says that Jesus is God's indescribable gift. Jesus himself teaches in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay his life down for his friends. And he says of us, you are my friends. You are my friends. And then in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Because love originates in the Godhead. The biblical ark tells us that God's love has these particular ends. And is revealed to us in John's final letter to the seven churches in Asia. In Revelation 21 verse 5, we read that through Christ... This God of love who is seated on a throne in the heavens has chosen to make everything new. He's restoring the world. He's making every sad thing untrue. And he bends all of eternity around his perfect love. And he does this for our great joy and his profound glory. And we are taught that Jesus is the one who comes to begin and to inaugurate what this beautiful new age will be, this beautiful kingdom of God's that will come in fullness on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is the one who establishes a precedent or a pattern of what God's kingdom will be like. We read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 to 21 that Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood, which He shed on the cross. So friends, Christ is before all things, And he holds all things together. He is the beginning and he has the first place in everything. And when it comes to what love is, Jesus establishes a pattern for us to understand. He establishes a pattern for us to receive and then embody. Jesus is the manifestation and the model of God's love. And he shows us what the pattern of God's kingdom rule will be like when it comes in fullness. When it comes as we pray on earth as it is in heaven. So we must ask ourselves what is it that Christ shows us about this God who is love that we are then ourselves to pattern and mimic and establish? Well, we see that this God. This God of love who stopped at nothing, who tore open the heavens to reconcile those he loves back to himself, rules not only from a throne, but he also rules from the cross. John chapter 3 verse 16, a verse that many know well, but perhaps we need to receive into the depths of our hearts again. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So the one who is first in all things, the one who sits far above, the one seated in the heavens, humbled himself in love to pay the debt of the world with his very life. And so we see that this thesis, these themes of love and obedience, two strands of a single cord are bound up eternally in the person of Jesus who is the crucified king. He is the beginning and he has first place in everything. And when Jesus explained the nature of his death to his disciples, what's beautiful is that he doesn't give them a theory, but rather he chooses to give them a symbol because some things can only be understood beyond words. And we know this to be true. We, we have uh, rings as wedding bands. We have the nighting ceremony. We have a glance of a mother to her child or the embrace of a father to his son. We know that there are some symbols that communicate far more than words words ever can. And so when explaining the nature of his death, Jesus doesn't give a theory. He gives a symbol. He gives a picture of what God's love should look like and what his love is. And that symbol is a crucified king. It is broken bread. It is a cup of suffering. And it is a knee that is bent to wash the feet of those whom he loves. Jesus comes, the crucified king, a God of love, to establish a pattern for his people and a pattern of his kingdom rule. A pattern that we are to live and embody as we follow in his way. Of this kingdom rule, there will be no end. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six to seven says, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This crucified king who rules from a throne and rules from the cross, he will reign and he will reign forever. So that is our God of love. We look now to God's people, those who give a cruciform confession, a confession that Jesus Christ is the crucified Messiah, that he has come to conquer victoriously once and for all Satan's sin and death and unite us to a loving Father forever. What does this mean for those who give this confession? What is the implication for those who testify of his life, death, and resurrection and ultimate glorification? Well, we see it here in John's letter. Those who testify that Christ is Lord must also love one another. Love one another just as he has loved us. I love the Greek in verse seven. It's so poetic. It says, beloved, let us love so that then is the charge for those who see Christ, who see the crucified Messiah, who testify that he is the risen Lord, that he is victorious over Satan's sin and death. For those who see him, who behold him, who, are, who receive his love, the, the, the response is then, well, you are the beloved, so beloved love. Beloved love as he has first loved you. With great emphasis throughout this segment of the text, John repeats the, re- the refrain to love one another. He first does it, does it as an exhortation. He does it as a statement of duty. And he even does it as a hypothesis. Let us love one another because love is from God in verse 7. If God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. And then in verse 12, as a hypothesis, if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is, is inconceivably made complete in us. Quite plainly, like Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this, everyone will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. This is how people will know that we walk the way of Jesus if we love one another. When everything else is taken away, it is love that will remain I grew up in an all-girls Christian school and the Anglican hymn book in the pew in front of me taught me to remember it like this. And I will not sing because I do not want to wound Shua in this way. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another." It is not by the metrics and the systems and the measuring points that we deem good and worthy in this world. It is by the metric of God's kingdom, and it is a metric of love. There are, there are kingdom metrics, and there are metrics of the world, and ultimately, it is the kingdom metric of love that will remain. This is how we will be known to be His in our love for one another. So Jesus Christ is the perfect love of God manifest amongst us and he establishes this pattern of love which his people are to reorient their lives around so that a pattern of God's kingdom is established amongst us here on earth as it is in heaven. John says that those who are born of God or quite literally fathered by God must love to the same degree and in the same manner that he has first loved us. What a weighty call. What a profound task. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Why? Why? Well, John Stott tells us no one who has been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of selfishness. In His love for us, God draws us, you and I, into the divine mystery of His love to become a people of love who declare, I love because He first loved me. Those who have been encountered by the living God, those who have seen a God of love cannot go back to a life devoid of love because we have received everything for which our hearts cry out, And we are then empowered and enlivened to give it away for the good of the world and to the glory of God. It's only when we know how we are loved by God that we are then set free to love others in the same way. Because we can never fear giving away that which is unending and unfailing. And so when we give the very love of God, there's a, there's, a, there's a freedom and generosity that comes because it will never end. It will never fail. It will never perish. It is perfect and eternal. But when I draw on the own love that I can muster up maybe for an hour, that will run dry. And so I don't draw from our own inner resources. We draw from the very love of the Father. It's that vertical relationship, that defining call of the beloved ones in God that then affects the horizontal reality that we experience with each other in the very ordinary, very human, very messy, very normal realities of our own lives. John has told us that it is by the power of the Spirit that we confess Jesus as the crucified King and in the same way, it is the Holy Spirit that empowers our love for one another. He is the one that enables us to love each other in a way that actually resembles God. The Father's love is manifest in Jesus who then binds himself to his people and together in love, we love through the empowering presence of his spirit. It's this beautiful thesis and argument that John John weaves throughout this passage of scripture and it's all interlocked and interwoven because it's a single cord, three strands of a single cord that cannot be disentangled and ultimately must be woven into the heart of the believer and evidenced in our lives. Friends, and this is the great mystery of God that we are invited to embody through Jesus, that God reveals himself through his son, but he now also reveals himself through his people when we confess, firstly, that Christ is Lord, and secondly, when we love one another. Jesus Christ is a manifestation of God on earth and we, his people, are invited to to pattern that very same manifestation through the testimony of our word and the manner and the degree to which we love. By the power of the Holy Spirit, our love is the evidence that Christ dwells within us and amongst us and it's the Spirit who empowers our witness that Christ is Lord. He is the one that also enlivens our love. If this were not astonishing enough, this passage then says that God's love is perfected when it's reproduced amongst us. Isn't that astounding? God's love is then perfected when it's reproduced in the midst of his people. Dodd explains that Jesus is the supreme evidence of God's love for us and he is the inspiration for ours. And so ultimately, God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another cannot be separated. And what's important to remember is that it's our faith in Jesus and our capacity to love each other, to love one another, that are rooted in the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes it possible to give the cruciform confession, and He makes it possible for us to love each other. John writes that devoid of the Spirit, we walk in darkness and our hearts are cold. But when we are filled with the Spirit, He is the one who illuminates our minds that we might believe in the crucified King and He warms our hearts to God and one another. Findlay writes, to weaken faith is to deaden love. John writes, he who dwells in love dwells in God. And Calvin writes, it is a false boast when anyone says that he loves God but neglects his image which is before his eyes. As the people of God, as the people of a God of love, we get to embody the love of God we get to incarnate the love of God and we get to reenact and retell God's story through the nature of our own lives. We get to establish once again the pattern of his love on earth as it is in heaven. And we do this when we love to the same degree and in the same manner that he has first loved us. And we do this before a watching world as we give our testimony to Jesus Christ. And I feel the weight of these words as I sit under the scripture. I feel them so profoundly. I feel the glorious call and I feel the reality of my humanity and I see the gap that sits between. And I know that I need to call on and look to the one who empowers both my living and my loving and that is the spirit of God. And so I want to look finally at at God's way, which is a call to obedience and a cruciform life, a life lived between the gap of this glorious reality that we read of in Scripture and the reality of our humanity. So you and I receive an invitation to respond to God's love, which is revealed in Jesus. And we can do this in one of two ways. We give the loving confession of a crucified king, and then we get to live in loving obedience a cruciform life, A life that you would say here is lived in the way of Jesus. John in one John five verse three we read, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. What are the two great commands? Well, Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39 tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Dan has said this before, but John's letters are heavy going because they're exposing and they're confronting they reveal our, the places of lack in us. They reveal where we have not lived a life of obedience. They reveal where we have tried and fallen short of the ways of God. And when we read them, it's so easy for us to consider the painful ways that we have failed to love God and love one another. And and, we, and it's easy to remember our failure to walk in the way of Jesus. And likewise, it's easy to remember And experience once again in our bodies the grief that we have known when we have not been loved in the same manner and to the degree which Christ himself has loved us. I read that text and and I had all sorts of emotions rushing through my body. I, have, I had all sorts of memories that came to mind, times when I have failed miserably and times when I have sat in absolute grief because I have been so wounded by someone that I love. And friends, I just want to acknowledge today and say that it is a grief. It is an atrocity. It is an abomination against the kingdom of God when we, are, when we fail to love as he does and when we are not loved in the same manner and degree to which he has first loved us. It is a grief. In every way, I know that your church community recognizes that. It recognizes the grief that comes in our failure to love one another well. Know this, you do not sit in your grief alone. And you have a community who will wrestle with you as you discern the ways in which you are to respond with wisdom and love, in ways that are healthy and safe and good and look like the kingdom and look like reconciliation and look like freedom and look like the proclamation of the good news. This is not a beige confession. I'm so aware that this first component of what I shared is known to so many so much so that it's almost rote. But it is not a beige confession. It is not a vanilla statement that we cling to as those who have received the love of God and are called to be people of love. It is not a beige confession. The call that comes to us in Matthew is glorious and it's profound and it's subversive and it's disruptive and it's confronting and it will never end, and it is the reign and the rule of God, and it will be established across the earth for all of eternity. And we can pattern after Him, and we can participate in extending that blessing and the reign of His kingdom. Those who have been loved, who are marked by His love, who are called to love like He does. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 to 45. But I tell you, love your enemies. That's hard to say. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I know, I recognize that so many of you would have been wounded and persecuted and hurt. But this is what the Lord would have us do. Love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is a death. To live like this is a death. Sometimes it might feel like many small deaths, and other times it might feel like martyrdom. In the ancient world, outside of the Christian confession, it was only appropriate to love those who were regarded as worthy of being loved. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus declares something radically different. He says, "'I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance.'" Jesus comes for the unrighteous, people who are human and limited and flawed, people who have failed to love well, people who have not been loved well, people who have wronged and been wronged, people who have harbored sin in their hearts. These are the people that Christ so loved, a people that God loved at every cost and every inconvenience to himself, a people like you and a people like me. Jesus has not come for the righteous, but for sinners like you and me. God does not love those who are lovable. God loves because he is love. And the very depth of his love is seen precisely in what he gives to the undeserving. The undeserving me and the undeserving you with a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, what we then do is we bind ourselves to this crucified King and we are invited to share in His cruciform life. So through the life of Jesus and the animation of the Spirit within us, we are called to embody ourselves once again and reenact the story of the Gospel in our own lives as we ourselves say, yes, God, I will love. I will love the deserving and the undeserving because you first loved me. We reenact the gospel when we get down onto the floor with our children, and we, we, we are patient, and we extend grace. We, we um, embody the gospel when we extend ourselves towards our co-workers. We embody the gospel when we apply grace upon grace upon grace until we think that we have run dry, and yet God calls us to do it again because this is the way of His kingdom. Will we be a people that follow after the pattern of his love and establish his kingdom on earth? Friends, I want to ask us, I want to ask myself once again today, will we be the type of people like Jesus who break bread with one another, who drink of the cup, who bend our knee to wash feet and pick up our cross to follow him? Ronald Rollheiser would say that we bend our knee with basin and towel in hand as we stretch across every single divide that separates us, just as Christ himself first stretched across the great divide for us. And so the call to us today from the Scriptures is to stretch across the systems of inconvenience, We stretch across tribes, we stretch across ideologies, we stretch across offenses, we stretch across the failure of others, we stretch across our own failure, we stretch across unforgiveness and we embody the way of Jesus. We bend our knee with basin and towel in hand and we love in the same manner and in the same degree to which we have first been loved to give away that which was so freely given to us. And as we do this, we're not doing this just as nice people who do nice things, all of which it is. But we do it because we are a part of God's kingdom. We are His beloved. We are His people. And His kingdom is being established. And as we do so, we join Him in pushing back confusion. We push back deception. We push back false ideologies and false proclamations. We push back the enemy, Satan, sin and death, and we embody the life of Jesus that has been given to us. And so like our Savior, we must open our arms of love, which are not perfect, but can mature as we look to the one who is in himself love. And we say, Father God, help me. Holy Spirit, enliven my love. We say yes to the call in Luke chapter 9, which is the call to take up our cross. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Many small deaths, even martyrdom, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. One of my favorite living artists is Makoto Fujimura. And he's a renowned Boston-born Japanese artist who works in the Nihonga tradition. And it's a form of art that dates back to medieval Japan, And it emphasizes the beauty of natural materials like gold leaf, oysters, azurite, and malachite. And there may be a picture of one of his artworks on the screen. And what happens in this tradition is that these materials are taken and they are literally crushed. And they are pulverized. And they are broken down by hand and, and made into a fine powder. And this powder is then mixed with a binding agent and applied to handmade paper. It's known as slow art. Any one of Fujimura's pieces contain at least 80 to 100 layers of material that don't dry quickly like acrylic paint. As the pulverized layers materials are layered, the most amazing thing happens. As these crushed, broken down natural materials are applied, layer upon layer, the one-dimensional colors literally hold and begin to trap light to create a prismatic and refractive surface. And so what begins to happen is what was once one-dimensional actually takes on a whole other reality. And I love his artwork because I believe it stands as a testimony as the people of God to cling to. Jesus is our pulverized King. At the center of all things is Jesus Christ, the light of life who says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. So at the center of all things, the firstborn, the the one who's before all is Jesus Christ and he was crushed for our redemption the ultimate death that then produced eternal life for all. And we are invited to share in his death, which leads to life. Bound in his love, bound to one another, we become people of love who are held together by the agency of the Spirit in us and amongst us. And so person by person, story by story, we are led together through fidelity to a cruciform life of love. And John writes... In this, the light of his love is made complete. As we say yes to to Jesus as the crucified king, as we say yes to being a people of love, and yes to a life of obedience, living in love, we create a a reality that holds the truth of who the Godhead is. We hold it in this neighborhood in in San Diego. On earth, as it is in heaven, we hold it in the messy realities of our lives and we tell of something other. We tell of the one who is the light of life. We refract the person of Jesus who's embedded in our midst by his grace toward us and we walk in his way. We are the slow art of God's kingdom and we we become this most profoundly when we love. The new pattern of humanity that lives through the love of God manifests most stunningly in Jesus Christ. This is the mystery of God. Jesus did not send his students out to start governments or even churches as we know them today. Instead, we were sent to establish beachheads of his person, Word and power in the midst of a failing and futile humanity. And we do this most profoundly when we love, when we die to ourselves and we love, when we bend our knee and we stretch across the divide. Love God, love one another. That is the core. And you know, we have to ask ourselves, how does John write that these are not a burden? How can Jesus say in Matthew 11 that his burden is in fact light? Well, because it's through the victorious power of faith in Jesus Christ, not the victorious person that conquers. That closing statement that we read this morning out of chapter five, what is it that conquers? Our faith. How is it possible to love like this? Our faith. It is the victorious power of God at work in his people. Chlamis says, it is not the man, but his birth from God that conquers. Love, belief, obedience, one chord that runs through the heart and the life of those who live the way of Jesus. I wanna invite you to stand because I wanna read something over us as we close. I believe, Neighbors Church, that God would say to you this morning, Sunny Bonani, I see you. I see you and I have loved you with an eternal, everlasting love. Will you see Him? Will you see a God of love and will you respond in love for Him and love for one another as you live a life of love, belief in Him and obedience? Jesus teaches us something beautiful in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 12. We have a God of love who calls us to be the people of love, who live in the way of love. And this, dear friends, is what it looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Be be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. Let us pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we wanna be a people that see You, a God of love. We wanna be marked by love as people of love who walk in obedience, a cruciform life of love. And so this is our confession that comes out of the school hall today. Jesus Christ is Lord. And according to the great pleasure of you, our Father in love, He gave His very life for us. Through Him we live. We ask that more and more we might be people that live in His love. From God, to God, and unto one another. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would enliven us to walk under your burden, which is light. And so we take seriously the call to abide, to stay, to dwell and to remain in your love. And we look to you to receive everything we are called to give away for the sake of the world and the glory of your name. Amen.